Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Hey, peace be with you. I, uh, it's great to see your, uh, your lovely faces here this morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Axiom. If we haven't met before, I think I've met just about all of you here, almost. If I've never met you before, please uh, come and say hi to me. I'd love to, love to meet you. Um, I, uh, I am sorry to say, though, if you are visiting us for the first time, um, you joined us when we were in the middle of a Leviticus series, so I apologize for that in advance. Ha ha ha, that's a joke, because uh, Leviticus. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, we are in Leviticus, and Leviticus, it's a notoriously strange book. Can I just say that? Um, I think if you grew up in the church, you were probably a little bit familiar with, uh, with kind of the the, the gloved hands we sometimes handle Leviticus, and uh, there's maybe some good reason for it. It's an ancient, it's a text full of ancient ritual, sacrifice. Um, uh, Pastor John last week, who got us started uh, in, this, uh, in this sermon series, pointed out that it deals with a lot of weird things like what to do when you discharge. Yikes. <laughs> and so it's a book that deals with a lot of unusual characteristics. I remember myself when I was in youth group. Um, Back, in, back a long time ago, uh, in a galaxy far, far away, I was in a youth group, and I remember I was going to be like, oh, I'm going to read the whole Bible all the way through, Genesis to Revelation. And I, said, I went up to my youth pastor, and I told him what my plans were, and he said to me, that's great, you may want to skip Leviticus. <laughs> it, is a, it is a book I, of course, didn't, because I was like, whatever, I don't need to skip anything. And then something happened as I was reading. Genesis, great, so many fun stories, so many interesting stories going through it. And then you get into Exodus, oh, some classics. Oh, the Exodus out of Egypt, those are classics. I, you can, you've seen cartoons about those stories, right? And then you're reading Exodus, and it's great, 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 great. And then somewhere by the end of, towards the end of Exodus, things start dragging a little bit. And you can't exactly explain why, but they just start repeating stuff over and over. It's like names and genealogies. And then by the time you get into Leviticus, it feels like it's just this circling around like somebody's morning rituals. Like you're just like, then he got up and washed his hands and dried himself on the left-hand towel. And then when you take the towel, you fold the towel up and lay it on the mantle and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then at some point when they start talking about discharges and making sure you don't lay with your neighbor's goat, you're like, okay, I don't know what this is. I'm out of here. <laughs> it's a very unusual book. And yes, it is definitely a book of ancient ritual and practice. But the question that we wanted to ask, because we do believe here at Axiom that all of Scripture is God-breathed, right? There's something that the Lord has for us in the entirety of the Bible. And so we asked ourselves, well, what use could this text of ancient ritual have for us modern readers? Is it something that we even need to think about? The temptation with a book like Leviticus is just to say, well, 
yeah, that happened, but we don't need to worry about that. Jesus, let's not talk about it. We rather want to ask the question, where is Jesus in Leviticus? And why do we, as believers, as followers of Jesus, why do we need to care about anything that happens in this strange, mysterious text? Because it's my conviction that though Leviticus is all the weird things that I said it is, it is also the case that through Leviticus, the readers are given a vision for how to live their, li- their entire lives in the presence and awareness of a holy and eternal God. And with this series, we want to invite our, our community to consider first that we are offered here to respond to God and His holiness, and then to ask how we then go about partnering with God to bring that holiness, that witness of holiness to the entire world. I believe that we will see through this, our time in this series, Le- Leviticus gives us a representative description of how we share in God's holiness, share God's holiness with the world and how we treat ourselves and others in response to that fact. How we heal that which is broken in partnership with God. Because in Leviticus, through the ritual, the rhythm, we actually see time itself unfolding, that we enter into a transcendent reality of God, and that in, in engaging in this rhythm, this dance with God, we have indeed entered into a holy, sacred dance where we are invited to keep our meter and rhythm in concert, in line with the rhythm of God. This set, and th- today, I really want to focus in on the idea of that partnership that God brings to us in Leviticus, the invitation of partnering with Him. It's a, se- it's, it's a section of the text that really focuses a lot on priesthood, if you, looked at, if you looked at the text of Leviticus, you would see it building out almost like a pyramid, right? You have, uh, you have smushed in the middle on the front end and the back end this idea of a priesthood existing, of a f- community of folks who are set aside by God to pay particular interest to the rhythm and ritual and to ex- extend the ritual to others and to guide others through the practice and process. And why does that matter? Well, Christians are often described or are described in the New Testament as being aligned with a new kind of priesthood. Peter, one of Jesus' main disciples, writes in a letter to his fellow Christians in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him, who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are described here as being part of a priesthood. Now, is Peter saying literally, by the way, you are an Israelite priest? No. But what we're seeing here is the early church, the early Christians adopted this language of understanding our relationship to the divine. That we are meant to proclaim, be proclaimers to the world, 
to declare the praises of Him who has, called, who has called us out of the darkness. And in that way, we are priests. Each one of us sitting here, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited into this holy priesthood. Because as we call, we are acknowledging that there is a God who has called us. In Leviticus, the beauty of this text is that we see a God who calls out to humanity and invites us to be made more and more holy as we partner with Him in bringing restoration to the world. We read in Leviticus 1.1, for instance, that the very beginning, the Lord called to Moses, his main prophet. He called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. We see here that God is a God that speaks out to people. He calls on his prophet and in turn invites Moses to speak before all the gathered Israelites. He calls out and desires to be heard and understood by the people in time, and in their way. He comes to them in their locality. And so, yes, we might see all the strange ritual and routine emerging in the text, but we must always keep in mind that what God is first and foremost, He is a God who wants to be understood by people. Some of the ways that He spoke to people thousands of years ago are going to be unusual for us. But I think if we wrestle through this together, we're going to get to the heart of a calling. That even if all the specifics don't exactly align with our modern context, the spirit and the heart of the God that is revealed here we will become clear. We are priests then, individuals set apart to act as guides, to invite others into this dance of holiness, of holy making. We see the beginning of this call in Leviticus chapter 8, really verse 1. We see at least an example of it lined out, laid out for us here where the Lord said to Moses, the Lord God who created the whole universe says to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons in their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Again, we, see, we saw in ver chapter 1 that God came to Moses at the tent of meeting, and God says, bring all the community here together and bring Aaron and his sons. Aaron and his son, Aaron was the brother of Moses, and it was Aaron and his sons that were to be selected specifically for this priesthood. So as we read through this, what Peter has said in the beginning, in his letter, he equates us with Aaron and his sons. We are this priesthood. So God calls, asks Moses to call all the people to bear witness to the sacred charge that Aaron and his sons are going to be given. And then in chapter 8, verse 9, Then he, that is Moses, placed a turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plates, the sacred emblem, on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. We see representatively the ways in which Aaron 
and his sons are being set apart. And we ourselves may not be dressed in gold and turbans and tunics, but there is a truth to the fact that we should see ourselves as distinguished. If we are followers of Jesus, there is something that we are being given here and entrusted with. We see the signs represented here, the symbols of a spiritual fact of what followers of Jesus have been given. We have the gold plate of Jesus' grace and mercy that we have awareness of. And as Peter says, that we are to declare the praises of him who have called us out of the darkness, we see Aaron and his sons becoming these proclaimers. And in verse 36 of chapter 8, so Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. So the invitation is to, for a priesthood of believers, that we follow the ways of the Lord as laid out by his servants like Moses, like the prophets of the Old Testament, like the writers of the New Testament. We are called to do everything that is commanded through his word. Now, it might sound like, oh, everything about being a priest is great. You get set apart, you get these fancy gold, this and that, right? But there's a tension that exists that we would be, it'd be misleading to pretend as though it's all sunshine, being a priest of God. And Leviticus deals with this because there is a reality to holiness that we cannot neglect. Some of you were maybe here for my sermon on Elisha and the bears. We found in that sermon that it's not so much that God wants to just maliciously maul children or something like that, but there is a reality. There's a reality that exists, and there is a reality to God's holiness. There is goodness and truth, and what we see manifest in Leviticus is the importance of those priests who are called to lead people into holiness, to be proclaimers of that truth, to the things that are actually true and actually good. We see this in chapter 10, verse 1. And before I say these names, I want to tell you something that I was told when preaching. Even if you don't know how to pronounce the names, just say it with confidence and everybody will assume that you're doing it correctly. So, with that being said, Aaron said uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Abihu? Does that sound confident? Not really, huh? There's a question mark there. Aaron's sons, I'm just going to skip over them, took their censures and put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his commands. So fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. There is a reality and truth and power to the holiness of God. And we as a priesthood, we have been charged with a sacred task of proclaiming what is good and true 
to the world. And if we don't lead people into that reality, then we are by nature of the very fact not leading them there. We have, part, we have engaged with unauthorized fire. And no, God is not a God that is just going to arbitrarily whack you down. But what we see here is that there is a kind of power being represented. And we should err towards the side of seeking what is true and good as we proclaim. Because there is a reality. And as one writer says, reality is the, the brick wall you run into when you try to pass through it. It's not that the parent is arbitrarily burning their child's hand when they touch the hot stove. It's just that stoves are hot. And so as the parent invites, asks the child not to touch the stove, it's not because the parent is just seeking for ways to hurt the kid. It's because there is a reality and truth. And so here, too, we see demonstrated the importance of aligning ourselves with the truth and reality of God's holiness and to be proclaiming it appropriately. As Jesus' disciples, we ourselves hold, are held to, we hold ourselves to a different standard. It's a standard of grace and a task in some ways much more difficult than the standards the world holds itself to. Jesus himself said, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There is, there is tension in the, in the task of the priest as we enter into the world. We need to be real about that. As priests, too, though, we are, we are asked to hold what is sacred in the world to consecrate what is good, because it is not all bad. There seems to be, there's a tendency sometimes, I, I've found, that we differentiate ourselves sharply. We are, we are the priesthood, and then there's the world, all the bad people, and it's everybody but us. Something else that we see too, though, our tasks as the priesthood is we are to go forward to find what is sacred, what, what is sacred amongst the people, and to consecrate those things. We read in Leviticus 22, verses 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate for me, so that they will not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. The Israelites, the people whom the priesthood is meant to bear witness to, the people bring forward things that are meant to be set aside and made sacred before God. In the same way, there are things in this world that are sacred and good. And we as proclaimers of God's goodness and holiness, we need to be of a posture that's able to take in that which is sacred and consecrate them before God, the truly spoken name. And we must seek not to profane God's holy name, not to contradict the holiness that is of God. And so when we consecrate, we seek to bring awareness of holiness to the community and the world. We are meant to consecrate. We are to call on God before the assembled world to proclaim on earth as it is in heaven. So where is Jesus in all of this? It might not be immediately obvious, as difficult as it's been to see ourselves in this text as a priesthood of God, 
given here into the world. Where is Jesus? Well, if we turn back to the New Testament, we find that Jesus himself is actually described as a high priest. If we are a royal priesthood, Jesus is the high priest. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We see here that Jesus himself is the high priest, the one who ascended into heaven. And he empowers us to hold fast to a faith that we profess. We'll read later on in the same same book that Jesus actually forms, there's a new priesthood that he represents, one not of the law, but of grace. And that because Jesus, he knows all of our weaknesses, he empathizes with our weaknesses and has been tempted in every way as we have been tempted, he did not sin. And so with him as his high priest, we can now approach confidently, confidently. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that time of need, sisters and brothers, is right now. Need is here. In the same way as we look to our priesthood, our charge, our task. We do not need to be afraid because we have a great high priest who has come before us, who allows us to approach confidently to the throne of God so that we might be proclaimers of God's holiness and truth, that we may bring transcendence into the world, that we may remind the world that there is a God that loves them, that is extending grace and mercy to them, and that that God, that God that we name is the true God. We will not profane his holy name. It is a sacred task task that we're given. We have been entrusted something before the world, before the assembled people, that thing that we've been entrusted It's the word of God. It's Jesus himself and Jesus' ministry in the world. We get to partner with God as a priesthood in that work. It is a great and glorious thing. And we can step forward with confidence because Jesus has gone before it. He is our high priest. He will lead the way. Won't you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That you have gone before, that you have shown us the spirit of truth, which is your priesthood, Lord, may manifest in the world through your body, which is us, Lord. May we not be afraid of the fact that we have been 
entrusted with so much, Lord Jesus. That you love us and that you are with us as we partner to bring your restoration to the world, Lord. To proclaim your holiness, your goodness, and your truth to the world. It is a sacred charge. It is not... It is not always an easy task, Lord, but the burden that you, you give us, Lord, is a light one. Your yoke is light, Lord. You partner with us to do these things. We thank you for your love and your mercy and for the confidence that you give us, Lord God. Pray this in your name. Amen.